This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We're joined by Mark Stiving. He is the Chief Pricing Educator at Impact Pricing in Reno. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Christoph. It's going to be fun. I hope I hope so, and enlightening. Pricing is always an interesting uh, strategy, and we haven't talked about that at all um, on the show, as far as I know, but I know people think about it. How do they price their products? I mean, I just had a book that went out. Um, how do I price that? How do I price consulting? How do I price speaking, right? You want to, <laughs> at some point, you got to make money or it's just a hobby, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so... I mean, where do we even want to start? I mean, what, what are some tips you tell people? How do you come up with what's the right price? I mean, uh, you know, maybe on the professional services side, maybe we can start there. Well, let's start, if you don't mind, let's start with everything. Yeah. I'll just talk about pricing as a general rule. And that is most people don't understand pricing. It's one of those decisions you have to make if you're going to be in business, but you don't really know how or why or what's going on. And here's the big hint for everybody. You want to adopt what's called value-based pricing. And value-based pricing is really easy to understand. It's charge what your customers are willing to pay. Turns out it's really hard to do because it's impossible to know what any given customer is willing to pay. But there are tricks, techniques. The real key is we want to get in the mindset of thinking about how do our customers perceive the value of our products. Now we could take any given product and have a conversation about, okay, how would we go about pricing that? But how do you find out what, what people are willing to pay? I mean, are you just guessing or what's the, how, how do you know? The, there are different techniques. It depends on the product. Um, I'll, quick story. Hey, this is a storytelling podcast. It is. I, uh, <laughs> I wrote my book, Impact Pricing, and I'd been in Toastmasters for quite a while, but I'd never been paid to speak. And I got a call from someone and they said, Mark, do you, do you speak? And I said, absolutely. And they said, how much do you charge? I just wrote a book on pricing and I am lost about the answer to that question. <laughs> so I get online and I'm searching how much do authors charge and blah, blah, blah. And I said, um, I said, I charge $2,000. And they said, yes. And a week or two later, I get another call from someone and they said, uh, Mark, do you speak? And I said, yeah. And they said, how much do you charge? And I said, $2,500. And they said, yes. It, you just don't know what people are willing to pay until you really understand your market and your segment. In a lot of cases, this is true. And what, what I was doing at the time is I was testing the market. I was just continuing to move the price up until I started to get price pressure. And where did you get the price pressure? Oh, at what price point did I start getting yeah. price pressure? Uh -huh. As a new speaker, you start to get price pressure around 5,000. Um, if you want to talk about the speaking industry, it's pretty fascinating industry because nowadays 
it's it, you really have to price right around 10,000, maybe slightly below that in order to be taken seriously as a speaker. Mm -hmm. So you have to be actually a little higher than what, what maybe what it feels, what, what feels right, I guess. Oh, one of the biggest problems with speakers, solopreneurs, anybody who's pricing themselves is, is a level of confidence. Mm -hmm. I'm not confident that I deserve $10,000 to give a speech. I'm not confident that I could win this proposal at $100,000. It's, it's hard. So how do you, so it's interesting because, so there's, there's really two sides of the coin. So I'm thinking about as you're sending out proposals, right? Yes, you have. I mean, like I have that too. There's some proposals you just kind of repurpose over and over, but depending on what they need, right, you have different proposals. So there's time that goes into the proposal. Then you have administrative time, right? I actually just said that to my, uh, my business partner today. I'm like, you don't even want to know how much time I spent just shipping back and forth proposals and then the contract and then the updates and then the, um, do you know what I mean? It takes Absolutely. time. I mean, it's like you, somewhere you have to, so there's a certain price um, line. Like if you're below it, you're not even making any money because you spend it all on admin time. So how do you find that balance? How do you figure out how to move, uh, move the pricing up? And, and like, how do you figure that out, I guess? Yeah. Well, my advice would be to always be moving your pricing up. Part of the problem with, solopreneurs or people who are working in really small companies is oftentimes that next sale is crucial, right? Mm -hmm. Eating is fun. Feeding our family is really important. And so the <laughs> idea of losing a deal is terrifying. But what ends up happening is what if you doubled the price, whatever it is you were going to charge, what if you doubled the price and you lost half the deals? So what? You just made a whole lot more money with a lot less effort and time. So, but, but why is it so hard? So, I mean, so I'll give you an example. When I first started out pricing, I would say this is, so I'd run it by people and I would say, this is a $120,000 proposal. And then they would go, oh, sounds good. Can we bump it up a little bit? Okay. Okay. 125, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then like, usually I got to the point where I would just go like, this is the number. And then before I ship it, before I, without even showing it to anybody, I would bump it to 135, right? Or whatever, yep. 140. But why is it so hard? Or maybe it's just, it can't just be me, right? But it, it's hard for people to talk about money and, and, and pricing, right? Or is it not? It is not just you. It is many, many people have this problem. So let's go back to what we started talking about in the very beginning. Because if you're going to put out a $100,000 proposal, you should understand the value that you're delivering to a client. Now, let me say that differently. You should understand the value the client is going to get because they engaged you. Let's say that you go out and you teach someone how to tweak their brand and you could change them from a $100 million company to a $110 million company. You just generated $10 million worth of value to them. Why would you not charge them a big number for that? <laughs> but how do you, but how do, how many companies, so in that, let's stay with that example. How many companies can guarantee, right? That they can actually, that that will happen. In general, you can't guarantee that it's going to happen. What, but 
here's the scoop. If the customer didn't believe you could do that, they wouldn't have hired you at all. They wouldn't have paid you $100,000. The idea for us is we need to make sure that our customers believe that we can execute on what we commit to, what value we want to deliver to them. We can take a small percentage of that value. If there's no competition, you should imagine that you're going to capture somewhere in the ballpark at 10% of that number. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't talk about this uh, ahead of the show, but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> um, a lot of agencies out there charge by the hour, right? Um, the billable hour, so to speak. In my opinion, on the billable hour, like I was just talking about this with somebody the other day about this and, and I, they said, you, do you send proposals by hour or deliverable? And I said, I only do deliverables. And here's the reason why. Because if I have an hourly rate, my goal is to get more billable hours. Your goal is to get fewer billable hours. We literally have competing goals. Uh, and it's a pain to keep track of it, right? Oh, my goodness. I just talked to you for six minutes. Um, what's, what's your opinion? I mean, is that still a model people should consider or should they truly just move to the value-based system that you mentioned? You are spot on right. As a general rule, people should always be bidding on the project, not by the hour. Nobody wants to hire you by the hour. The only time they do is if they don't understand and they don't believe you understand what it's going to take to do the job. And so we might end up with a really big number that we didn't expect. But as in most cases, I would rather pay you for the outcome than pay you for the work it takes to get to that outcome. And then when we talk about outcome, does that mean the work product or does that mean the result? (laughs) I think what happens is the buyer is buying the result, but we didn't guarantee the result. The buyer wants the result when they make the decision, but what they really bought was the, the work product. Imagine anything you buy. It doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, you want to go out and buy a new car. You're going to buy this uh, really nice two-seater convertible because you think it's going to help you get the ladies, right? I want to go win, uh, meet a bunch of new ladies. So you go out and you buy the car, but nobody guaranteed the benefit. It was still the product we bought. Nobody guarantees that you get the ladies. Exactly. And if my if my wife is listening, that has never been my goal. <laughs> when Mine buying either. a new car. <laughs> so do you when you go in, like how do you like how do you teach people to, to price better? Do you have like a framework or like a like a step by step process? Or how do you how do you even approach that topic? And who like who works with you? Um, so I teach companies how to price and about value. Most of my customers are tech companies, but I work with almost anybody. Uh, I tend not to work a whole lot with retail. And the only reason is they have so much data and there are statisticians out there that do this a ton. And it's just not work that I want to do. But when it comes to thinking about pricing and decisions we make and value, that's where I really add value to a client. And so the first step is we need to understand what's the decision that our buyers are going to make. And and so you're going to put out a proposal for a second. The proposal you put out, the buyer is going to make one of two different decisions. They're either going to say, yes, I want to hire you or no, I don't want to hire you. Or they're going to say, 
yes, I want to hire you, or I'm going to hire one of your competitors. Those are two very different decisions. If it's you or nothing, they're, they're much less price sensitive. You can get away with raising your prices 10% and it's not going to change their mind at all. If it's you versus a competitor, now what we're doing is we're trying to say, well, how am I different from my competition? How much better am I than my competition? How much do I think my competition is going to charge? And so how much should I charge to be relative to the competitor and yet still win that deal? And how, so that sometimes can turn into an easy race to the bottom, which can be one, right? Because somebody can get to zero. Um, how, how do you ensure that doesn't happen? In general, you want to be thinking always about how do I push my value? How do I stay above my competition? Um, I'm not a huge fan of price competition. I'm not a fan mm -hmm. of people saying, oh, I want to go win this deal, so I'm going to lower my price to, to win it. Now, we often have to give discounts or lower our prices in order to win a deal, but it's the last thing I would do, not the first thing. The first thing is, what is it that the customer values? How do I make sure that they know I do that better than anybody else? What could I add to my proposal, my product, my service, so that they achieve more than I would, uh, than, than my competition can deliver? That's always focusing on how do I deliver more value? How do I communicate more value? And of course, you do have to listen to the prospect, right? Because everybody has slightly different problems. Uh, absolutely. There's, especially in, in the type of business that we're talking about, where we're going to go out and do bids on projects, there's something that's called a value conversation. And a value conversation is a really nice way to get somebody to, to figure out for themselves and at the same time explain to you how much value they're going to get out of solving the problems that you're going to solve for them. So when you talk about software, do you mean like software as a service or, or what kind of software category? Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, software as a service, when you start talking about subscription type businesses, it gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, bef look, before we talk about subscription, let's talk about mm -hmm. a traditional business. I want to go sell a project. I want to sell a product. I want to sell a piece of software that's shrink wrapped and you get a perpetual license for it. In each one of those mm -hmm. cases, we as the seller need to go win the deal. As soon as you add subscription, not only do I need to win the deal, but I need to keep you buying from me. And over time, I want you to buy more and more from me. We start end up ending up with departments like customer success departments or onboarding to make sure mm -hmm. people are actually successful using our products. What I, one of my favorite things to think about is in the traditional type business, I cared that somebody bought my product. I never really cared if they used it. I just wanted the check to cash. As soon as you get to a subscription business, I actually care if they use it and are getting value. Otherwise, they won't keep paying me money. Mm -hmm. So that is an interesting um, differentiator. So when we talk about subscription, though, I mean, I... Um, you know, I'm just thinking about all these uh, ads I saw, um, you know, at the Super Bowl earlier this month, um, like Hulu, right? I mean, Hulu is a subscription service and it's so uh, it's actually it's actually much more expensive than what most people say they would pay for it. Right. I don't know if you heard that or not. HubSpot published some kind of 
study saying people would pay $10, which I'm like, what streaming service charges $10? Um, but it also offers a value, but it also is easy to, to leave, right? I mean, when I was trying to move things around a little bit, I mean, I could just leave them right away. Yep. What's interesting about that type of business is usually we as buyers, it's really hard for us to make a decision. But oftentimes, once mm -hmm. we've made the decision, we don't want to go back and revisit the decision. I put it on my credit card, just take my 10 bucks a month. I don't really care. Life is good. Um, and, and what's interesting about that world is I recently left Netflix. That wasn't that Netflix was a horrible company or anything like that. They raised my price. And what it did was it caused me to rethink, do I really watch Netflix that often? Or do I really like the shows I could get on Netflix? And, and once I rethought it, I said, well, you know, it's, I don't, so it's not worth it. I should cancel it. <laughs> it wasn't that I wasn't going to pay another dollar a month. It was, I had to rethink my overall decision. But prior to that, I was just writing them their $12 checks or whatever the heck it was. Mm -hmm. So you have, for subscription, though, you have two different models, right? You have, so what we're talking about right now is really B to C, right? That's you and I make a decision. Um, well, I guess there is some a B to B flavor in here because um, there is a committee decision, right? Like if I say I want to cut Hulu, I have to go argue with my wife and my two daughters yeah. <laughs> um, for a minute, um, which is which leads me to the B two B buying process, right? When it comes to uh, recurring software, so B two B, what I've noticed, especially in North America, you don't sell to one person anymore, right? Uh, like when people say, "Oh, we're targeting the CMO because the CMO makes the buying decision," that's actually not true. The CMO might be the one um, signing the contract. But there's going to be all kinds of people involved who have their say. Whether they get listened to or not is another question, but they certainly have an, a chance to give their opinion. You know, you've seen that probably. Oh, right? absolutely. Most B2B decisions of any size are made by a committee, not by an individual. And, and so what that ends up doing, especially in the world of subscription, is we care a lot about that committee when it's time to win the customer. So imagine you're a big company, you don't have a CRM or, or you're going to throw away the CRM that you're using today and you want to start all over. So now you're salesforce.com and you're in there trying to win that deal with the committee and telling them all the great features. Once you've won the deal, the idea of somebody leaving Salesforce is almost unheard of. They're going to continue to pay us month after month. And the only real question is, how much of their budget can I now get because of new features or new capabilities that I can put in that company? And, and the committee starts to become less important when we do the acquisition, I'm sorry, when we do the retention and the expansion piece of subscription business. Mm -hmm. So, but how do you, but how do you price, I guess, or maybe that's more, how, how do you pitch to them? But for, so if you have a committee and you come in and you, and you know, the pitches, Salesforce would cost 100000 or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's actually very reasonable, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Which, if it is or not, is debatable. But let's say that's my opinion. And then you have, like, other employees, right, who might think, oh, holy cow, it's how much? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What we're in now is a 
um, a conversation about strategic selling and how sales and why why our salespeople get paid so much to go out and manage that exact process. Here are all the different people that are part of the committee. What does the CFO, what does that person care about? What does the CMO care about? What's the sales uh, VP of sales care about? And, and we're trying to communicate our value differently to each one of those so that we can eventually win the deal and try to figure out how the decision gets made. It's complex. There's not an easy answer to that problem. Yeah, I don't think there's easy answers to anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. ab absolutely. But, but I want to, um, if you don't mind, there was something I wanted to make sure I covered today mm -hmm. because it has to do with how do we communicate this value. As a pricing person, um, I've, I've been in love with pricing most of my life. And as a pricing person, you, you start out by thinking, oh, it's all about how do I put a price on a product or a service or something. But once you start thinking about that, then you start thinking about, well, how do I communicate as a salesperson? How do I communicate the value that I have to the person who's making the buying decision? And then you could take a step back and say, well, as a marketing person, how do I communicate the value to the market in marketing messages? And then you take a step back and say, as a product person, how do I build the products so that they have value? So marketing can market them and sales can sell them and we can win with a higher price. The fact that we focus on that price at the very end works backwards through the entire business to say, how do we create, communicate and capture more value in the company? So I want to make sure I understand that correctly. So are you recommending that the pricing should be mentioned last? Oh, absolutely not. Pricing is one of those things that should be thought of really early. Most companies mm -hmm. think of, especially a startup company, a small company, we think of it after the fact, well, how much do I think I could get for this? But what if the product manager, whoever it is that's designing the new product that we're about to put out, what if they understood pricing and value? they would actually build products that we could win at higher prices with. What if the marketing people understood how our customers value our products? The stories they would tell would be very different than, to, you know, read most people's web pages. It's about their features. It's not about the benefits or the value that we're delivering. Yeah. I mean, don't even get me started on people's web pages. <laughs> I mean, Every, everybody, everybody is industry leading. Everybody is number one in their field. I don't know if you noticed that. And it's, um, uh, I, I can't believe that that doesn't undermine people's marketing message. I mean, I see it so often. It's, uh, it's just marketing gobbledygook. It's kind of like saying, listen to me, because I'm not going to tell you the truth. <laughs> Actually, what's funny about, you know, the whole number one, I, I don't know how it came up, but I had my two daughters in the car and I take them to school in the morning and, and I told them something about how something was marketing gobbledygook. And I said, I mean, watch this. I'm number one. And my one daughter goes, no, I'm number one. And my other <laughs> daughter goes, no, I'm number one. I'm like, see, <laughs> according to who? Right. Your, mar your marketing team. Um, so. One question that I, that I jotted down here. So one theory that I heard, and I don't know if it works. It seems like every time I try it, it seems like it works. Um, but how do you feel about the whole, like, here's three tiers or three packages, you know, like the whole, if you, you know, one is high, one is middle, one is lower. 
and you want people to buy the middle one. Is that a thing? I mean, do you, does that work still? Has it ever worked? Uh, not only is it a thing, it is probably the one of the single best things you could do in business. Um, it, it is so important. Let's say that um, let's say that you wanted to you had a ton of different features. You could sell each of those features individually. In fact, if you go to GoDaddy's website, what you'll find is that there are tons of different choices that you can make. And it's confusing as heck. And you're thinking, oh my God, I don't want to make a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't buy anything today. So we need to find a way to simplify it. The other side of that is you could go to Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is here, pay me your $12.99 a month and you can have everything. You can have free delivery and you can have video and you can have music. And right, so they just put everything in the package for $12.99. So it's, an, it's an, a one size fits all. Most people should be thinking about how do I create this, we'll call it good, better, best packaging. And there are many different uh, ways to think about this, but my favorite way to think about this is um, if you've got an iPhone or an Android phone, when you bought it, there were probably three memory sizes available to you. So we'll just call it small, medium, and large. Uh, do you happen to remember which one you bought, Christoph? You don't have to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can tell you how you made the decision. Mm -hmm. If you're an expert and you know exactly how much memory you needed, that's what you bought. Most people are not experts. If the phone was a really high part of your budget and, uh, and you're scraping to get into the category, you bought the smallest amount of memory. If you're fabulously wealthy and you didn't really care about the, the budget so much, you just bought the best because you didn't want to make a mistake. Most of us buy the one in the middle. And the reason we buy the one in the middle is because we don't want to make a mistake. If we buy the small one, it might not be good enough, but we don't want to waste money buying the best one. So we all buy the one in the middle. And this is such a, a universal theme because people don't really know what they need. I think every company, if it's feasible in their product category, should be creating good, better, best packages. And by the way, this is true for you too. If you're making proposals for companies, create three proposals, create a good, better, best package for proposal. And go after the middle one. Yeah. <laughs> the way I think about pricing those is, is the good, I'm okay. I'm happy if they take my good package. I'm expecting mm -hmm. them to take my better package. And if they take my best package, I'm going to dance. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I think the one question I didn't, so a lot of people listening to this are, you know, are marketers um, in, in that area. So I, um, I wanted to circle back on, back on when do you talk about the pricing? So as a consumer, I, it drives me crazy when I have to work for anything, yes. <laughs> you know, why do I have to call or like some, some companies, right. Especially in, in SAS, you, you do anything on their website and then to get any numbers, you have to set up a phone call um, or even worse, not set it up, but give them your number. And then they call you and leave you a voicemail, which is like, I mean, who thinks that's still a good strategy in 2020? Right. Not, not me. Um, so, at what point do marketers talk about the pricing and how, or do they just, I mean, I remember um, Marcus Sheridan, you know, the sales line, they had like a bathtub companies and they just published everything. 
including what they think um, the market prices are. So, I mean, that's probably too far on one side, but what, or, or very far on one side. What's your theory? First off, it depends on many different situations. The times where it, the only time I can think of that it really makes sense to not tell people what your price is going to be is if the price is indeterminate because of the proposal, because it's, it's, I'm not buying a standard product. So if I were to ask you, um, Christoph, how much is it going to cost me to have you come uh, consult for me for six months? You couldn't answer that question. You wouldn't put that price on your webpage because it's so indeterminate. Well, what do you expect me to do? How much value am I going to deliver? But you know, if, if I say, oh, I want to buy a Casper mattress and they say, well, call us and we'll tell you how much it costs. Yeah, that's not very comforting, is it? Um, I don't think I'm going to call them for that. The real issue becomes when we as consumers look at a, a page and say, oh, they didn't tell me the price. Now I'm thinking, well, it's going to be expensive or I'm going to get a hard sell and I'm probably not going to make the call. So, so, how, do you, so how do you get around it? I mean, do you give, so I, you know, on my speaking page, so interesting with the consulting, right? For six months. I mean, it's like there's a gazillion, um, dependencies right i mean do you want me to be on site full time right do you, is it um a call a week do you do this i mean what else what all is included um but i i do have like a range you know for like speaking like here's the range and uh, as soon as we're done i will update that to um, ten thousand good dollars good <laughs> at a minimum um but like, how do you like, how do you get around that? I mean, do you publish uh, ranges or do you, I mean, what do you do? I guess. Yeah. So, so in the speaking world, my advice would be to not publish a range. Let's say you publish a range and I'm going to say your range is, I, I you know, I'll speak from 7,000 to $10,000. Mm -hmm. Everybody who reads your website says, oh, I could, he'll speak for 7,000. Correct. So I would never publish a range. I would just publish a number. Now you publish 10,000, whatever the number is that you want to ch publish. And someone comes back to you and says, um, you know, can you do it for seven? You, you're now in a negotiation. You get to have a conversation with them to say, are you going to do it or not? But I would put a price out there. No one's going to call you if you don't put a price out. <laughs> so this is also the reason why uh, most jobs don't publish ranges, right? Because if you say 150,000, 200,000, the hiring manager sees 150,000, the applicant see 200,000. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and so for situations like yours, where you say, I want to do six months of consulting, and you're thinking, well, I don't know how big yeah. the project is, you, you could write something on your webpage that says, for six months mm -hmm. of consulting, I've done jobs for as little as 10,000, as much as 100,000. It really depends upon what the job entails. There we go. So we, we put a range out, but it didn't say I charge this range for the same thing. It says mm -hmm. I charge this range, but I can't tell you how much you're going to need right now. Oh, pricing is just too difficult. I'm sticking to the other side. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> what, uh, so, so when you, when you go in and you, you, you work with people, like, like, how do you start off? How do you, uh, like, do you, do a fact finding or what's like the process if you 
want to walk through that? It, it depends on what type of project I'm on. Most of the time, what happens is when I get in, involved with a company, we start analyzing how our customers perceive our value. First thing I'll do is I'll ask people inside the company, how do you think your customers perceive your value? Who's your competition? What do you do better? What do they do better? What's that worth your clients? And then we go out and we start talking to people in the marketplace. And it's amazing how much people inside the company don't know those most important answers to those questions. And, and why is that? Why, why don't they? They don't talk to customers? Um, they've never thought about value. They've never thought about it the way we think about it. Um, let's say that you're going to buy something. doesn't matter what it's going to be. You're going to buy a new car and you're comparing an Audi and a BMW. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, the BMW is a little more expensive than the Audi, but is it worth it? Would I pay more for this? And, and now you're asking yourself, well, what do I get if I, if I pay more? This is what the marketers, this is what the product people, what the salespeople have to understand. How are our buyers making that decision? But they never step back and think about that. It's, it's insane to me. Well, and, and not to make that more complicated, but you talk about two good old German cars. And, um, you know, this is how I buy my car. Um, you know, my last car when I bought it, I, I went on a test drive one time. And I said, this, this, this is good. We'll get this one. And my wife said, that's it? Like five second test drive? I'm like, yeah, I just used this on the last two trips when I rented a car, mm -hmm. same car. You know what I mean? Yep. So I was, I was actually convinced. And at that time, I was probably renting, I don't know, 20 cars a year or something. And, um, you know, I was convinced that's the car I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> because I liked how it felt. But how could anybody ever plan for that? I mean, how could they, how could the dealer plan for that, I guess. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you ready for this? Hmm? You made what's called a will I decision. You didn't make a, which one decision you already knew you were going to buy this car. Once you test mm -hmm. drove, it's like, that's the one I want to buy. Now let's say that I'm the salesperson. Here's what I'm going to talk to you about. Hey, Christoph, if you don't buy this car, what are you going to do? And you say, well, you know, I think I'll just hold off and not buy a car yet. If I don't get this one as a salesperson, I just heard you say, I am, I'm, I'm not considering any competitive products. This is a will I decision. And so I now know that you're not price sensitive. So you come to me and you say, well, I really need a discount for the car. And instead of giving you the normal, and I don't know the number, but let's say a normal 10% discount, I'm going to give you a 2% discount mm -hmm. because I want you to feel like you got a deal, but I know I don't have to give you a discount because you're still going to buy my car. That's what matters when we start, when we as companies understand the decisions our buyers are making and can recognize those decisions in the middle of a sales process. Wow. That gives us a lot of power in terms of pricing. So maybe <laughs> to bring that story full cycle, maybe I've just been uh, part of too many rodeos, but so before I went, I went on their website and I think, I don't know the exact numbers. I want to say the listed price on the website was 31,000, maybe. I don't know what the numbers were, honestly, but let's say 31,000. And I went in and um, so found the car, took it on a ride, and then they tried to sell it to me for 34,000 <laughs> or something like that. <laughs>
And but but I hadn't told them yet that I knew what I was online, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, so what can we do? And how do, then they ask how do you, I'm like, oh, well, here's how we pay for it, blah blah blah, which had nothing to do with them, right? And so then they weren't going to go down, and I said, look, but online I can buy this for thirty one thousand. So if I go online, can I just buy the same car? And they finally went to the thirty one thousand. And out of curiosity, was this a new car? Um, that is a good question. Um, it was pr- has like forty some thousand miles okay. now. Um, pr- close. Okay. I don't think it was completely new. Maybe not. Well, the reason I ask is because new cars, a dealer for a new car, as long as you're living in a decent enough size city, a dealer for a new cars competition is the other dealer across the street or across town. Mm-hmm. And there's no differentiation between the cars. You've got you as a buyer have so much bargaining power because of that one fact. When you buy a used car, there isn't a direct competitor that you could say, "Oh no, no, this other car is way less expensive." It's it's much harder to do that from the buyer side. Yeah, there's definitely enough uh, competition here in the area, so that could apply. But anyway, it's interesting pricing. It's hard. Here are my takeaways, Mark. You can chime in if you have any others. I forgot. Um, you know, talking about pricing definitely is hard. I mean, maybe not for everybody, um, but but for many people, um, don't go too low. Right, going too low and then going, um, you know, spending more energy to get it done. Uh, that's not a good thing. Um, you know, pre- present the three proposals or have three three tier pricing. What else did I miss? What else as a summary? Think really hard about how your buyers value your product. What's the decision? Are they making a will I decision or a which one decision? And then once we understand that decision, how do they put value on your product? And that, of course, means you have to talk to people and <laughs> also pull them in on, on your website through your content, of course. Mark, where can people find you on the web? What's the website, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to share? Yeah, so I live on LinkedIn. There's lots of comments and commentary there. Uh, you find me just as Mark Stiving. I'm the only one. Um, I have two different websites. One is impactpricing.com, which is if you wanted to hire me to come do something, that's where you would go. And I also have a website, championsofvalue.com, which is where we post online courses to teach people about pricing and value. Fantastic. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the overview of pricing. Hopefully it was helpful for everybody um, that listened today. Um, Appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.